I know, because sometimes I think to myself, well, it would be, like, bad <laughs> if you laughed at that, because it would be inappropriate <laughs> to laugh at that line. And I just, it makes me laugh, doesn't it? <laughs> like, <laughs> I love how on topic we are all the time in these episodes. Yeah, absolutely. Where are we today? Today we're talking about Lithuania. It is our second Baltic country in our trilogy. Yeah, second in the trilogy. We've got mm-hmm. uh, Latvia was the last one. Estonia is next. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so where is... I know the um, the Baltics... For anyone who hasn't seen Latvia, whereabouts is Lithuania? Uh, Lithuania is in the Baltics, which are in Northern Europe. It is Latvia to the north, Belarus to the east, Poland to the south, and part of Russia to the west. Yeah, because it's like um, they are the Baltics are inside of a Russia sandwich. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The the place where everyone wants to be. Especially not the Baltics, judging by their history. They do not want to be. I tell you be. what I want to see, and this is. Lithuania is probably going to have to take the lead on this. I think they should Crimea that little bit of Russia. Oh, really? I reckon that should be Lithuania. Yeah, not Poland. No. No, 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 no. Lithuania. Yeah. Lithuania have the bigger army. <laughs> no, I reckon I reckon Lithuania should have it. Unless, does Poland want it? If Poland wants it, go for it. As long as Russia doesn't have it. I do not know. We should do an episode one one week about that part of Russia. Uh, it's yeah. called Kaliningrad. Just Kaliningrad. Not, not the rest of Russia, we'll just do a Kaliningrad episode. Alright, done. That can be that can be the fourth episode. Uh, surprise. <laughs> fourth episode of the trilogy. Because what we could do is we could just reimagine the border. Yeah, well we'd have to go back and look at the history of like historically where it was who owned it and all that no 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 no. we're british we just draw a line on a map and then say that's done oh yeah of course <laughs> what was i thinking scott back to the subject of this podcast um where does lithuania get its name from uh lithuania is one of those countries again where we're like oh, i'm not really sure where the name comes from the name could come from and this is kind of a joke meaning that the people there use i don't know could be true the name comes from Liti, meaning terrain, because it's like a very rainy country. However, like we said, there's no proof of this. The more popular theory is that it comes from the Latin word latus, meaning shore, as it's on the Baltic Sea. Oh, that makes sense. I mean, to be honest, I, I, I don't know. The fact it's a rainy country makes me kind of want to go there more. Do you like the rain or something? What? That's the thing. I don't like the rain here. I hate it when it rains here. Because it's gross when it rains here. Yeah. Because yeah. our streets are filled with trash. So it's just like running rivers of trash. And... Yeah. Uh, where's the... Oh, so the capital's near Belarus. Is it Vilnius? Yeah, Vilnius. The capital of Vilnius is in the southeast of the country. Vilnius gets its name from the Vilnia River, which runs through the city. Vilnius establishes by two... Getting... Uh, Gediminas in the earlier 14th century after he had a dream of an iron wolf sort of sitting in an area and then like howling at the moon and it was inter- interpreted by a pagan oracle called Lizdaika 
and it was like a vision of Talonium where to build the city. So that's where they built Villainous. It's quite a cool history. Yeah, like the Iron Wolf City on a river, which is like a cool origin. But yeah. um, like ninety percent of cities are on rivers, so it's not really like oh, what a revelation that <laughs> you built yeah. a city on a river. <laughs> well, that's because everyone needs water, so yeah. it makes sense to. But I mean, she probably this uh, this uh, what's what's it what's the name? Um, Listieka. They probably pointed them to the right place in the river. But there. It's cool, isn't it? Like the Iron Wolf. I just got like a sick idea of this like steel, like plated, almost like a wolf in a suit of armor. Yeah. Like how? Ah, oh, that looks cool. Vernie you could see inside my mind. Yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good show. Yeah. I still sing the theme song for that. Oh yeah. Every so often. I think it's one of the best theme songs for an anime. So in Villainous, they have an area of the the city called Zupis. Uh, Zupis. Is that how you pronounce it? Maybe. It's how it's spelled. <laughs> so, I'd say Uzupus. Uzupus. Uzupis. Uzupis. Because this is one of the things that show, because um, after Uzi piss. Latvia. Uzi piss. Mate, if you've got Uzi piss, you will go to the doctors. <laughs> but um, they, I was looking it up, and every letter should sound exactly the same. If it has like the same diacritics and everything, so you wouldn't have something like Uzupus. What? Uzupus. You wouldn't have Uzupus because that U and U sound different and they need to sound the same. So Uzupus. Oh right, yeah, because yeah, because the diacritics make them standardised how they sound, don't it? Yeah. So it'd be Uzupus. Yeah. Uzupus. 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 Who knows? Who knows? I'll tell you what we could do. I'm going to put it in Google Translate and see how I pronounce it. I don't know why we've never done this before. Is it for, though? Is it this it guy? It doesn't pronounce Lithuanian words. I'm very disappointed. Ah, Scott, I found a website. Ujupis. 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 Yeah. Yeah, Ujupis. There we go. Ujupis. So Ujupis is in uh, Villainous itself. It's like an area. Uh, the name itself means beyond the river because it's just on the other side of the river Vilnia. The district has been popular with artists for some time. It's been ca- compared to Montmartre in Paris and Freetown Christiana in Copenhagen. That's quite cool. I went to an art museum in Paris once. Which is the most pretentious thing I can ever say. You actually did that? Yeah, uh, there was a a a Japanese rock band was playing um, and my friend wanted to go and so I was like, sure I'll go with you. Her idea was that she was going to go to just go to Paris for the concert and come back the same night. 
and I was like, I'll go with you, but we've got to spend at least one extra day there so we can actually go around Paris, because it's Paris. Thank you, Scott. I know people that have gone to Paris just for like a, a concert and then like left. The yeah, exactly. Day, it's and just not, like, not it's even Paris. looked around. I'm like, how did you go to Paris and not even have a look around? Um, so we agreed to go for essentially a long weekend. So we'd go we'd spend two nights there, go back on the third day, spend one day actually in Paris. Um, and so we saw the Eiffel Tower. We didn't go off it because that looked bloody expensive. Um, but one of the other things we did was we went to an art museum and it was like, I think it was either free entry or it was like really cheap to get in. Um, and there was a, there was all sorts of like exhibitions and whatnot. And one of them, the one that sticks out to me though, was there was a video, a video presentation of a guy just walking around. That, that was it. Oh, that was like the art, just a guy walking around. There was just a guy walking around and that, that was literally it. And it was playing on repeat. But the amount of space that they gave to this art presentation, you'd think it was like some like it must have been something quite popular because it was given like an entire theatre constantly <laughs> running it. This is just a bit mad. Back to the subject of this podcast. So the interesting thing about Uzupis is that in nineteen ninety eight it declared independence and became its own republic with its own constitution. It's um, it's a pretty small area of Vilnius. It is um seven thousand residents, a thousand of which are artists. Uzupis was home to many uh, Jewish people during World War Two, many of which were unfortunately executed during the Holocaust. And after that, in the Soviet times, the buildings in the area were neglected, meaning many homeless were able to squat in the area. It is like a quite like an old historical area of um wilderness. It's in the Sinai, the old town. So it means that um it's like a UNESCO World Heritage Site and that's so in well, so as I cool. said before, in nineteen ninety eight declared its independence and as such it had its own constitution, flag, unofficial currency, president, cabinet ministers, anthem and an army of eleven men but has retired since. The residents of the South Declared Republic celebrate this independence annually on Uzupas Day, which happens to fall on April 1st, Scott. Oh, I see. Yeah. Artistic endeavours are the main uh, preoccupation of the Republic. The president of the Republic of Uzupas, Romanus Lelikis, is himself a poet and a musician and a film director. The Republic has granted honorary citizenship to several noticeable individuals, including the 14th Dalai Lama, who visited the Republic in 2013, and later returned to plant a tree in the Republic's Tibet Square. It is unclear whether the statehood of the Republic, which is recognised by no government, is intended to be serious or a joke or a combination of both, but due to the decision to place Uzupis Day on April 1st may be kind of like <laughs> Maybe kind of a hint towards that is not emphasizing the importance of humor over serious political decisions. This is hilarious. So, 
So there's a little se- essentially it's about from what I can tell it's like the city of London where it's like a little tiny part within the bigger city. Yeah. That's almost autonomous. Kind of. It's just like declared itself independent. It's just like a little sector. You have like little boroughs, don't you, in like big cities, don't you, and little areas that have names, don't you? So would it be like Croyd if Croydon was just like, do you know what? We're independent. <laughs> that sort of thing, you know. If I don't know for the for the Americans, like if Brooklyn just was like, nope, we're gone. <laughs> well, because Brooklyn doesn't have seven thousand residents. She needs somewhere with seven thousand residents. That's like one of their buildings. Um, it'd be like. Well, I'm sure there's more than seven thousand people in Croydon. <laughs> yeah, I know. I realised that was silly as well. So yeah, it's just like a part of the town. It's just decided, nope, we're. But I think it is a joke. It's a bit. It is a played a bit time in cheek and that. Yeah, of course. It doesn't make any sense. So they've got an army of eleven people. Well, they've retired now. <laughs> Would you like to go through the constitution first, Scott? Because they have their own constitution of thirty-eight articles and three um, mottos. Let's look at this uh, this constitution. So, what the three mottos? Um, don't fight, don't win, don't surrender. Yeah, that really doesn't make any sense. <laughs> no, it doesn't make any sense, but yeah. Don't fight means be peaceful. Don't win. I guess there's a thing about trying to um, not like be a good, not be a bad winner. If that makes sense, what you call them? Like, don't gloat. Yeah. I know what you mean. It's almost like a it's almost like a sore winner right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like don't win, just succeed. Um, and don't surrender. Um, that's pretty self-explanatory. Don't surrender. Um, but I, th- I think we should address these the the article of the constitution. Yeah. Like, because there's some quite good quite good sort of points in there so the constitution has been written in 23 languages and it has been stuck on a wall in palpio street so if anyone wants to go see that nice we'll put it as a stop on our tour <laughs> yeah so if you take us through a couple of these of this skull everyone has the right to live by the river vilnia and the river vilnia has the right to flow by everyone which is quite sweet. They've given the river sort of right to... Um, so I think it's like pre-warning the citizens, like at any point this river could overflow yeah. and could could flow right by you. Mm-hmm. It has the right to. <laughs> uh, second one. Everyone has the right to hot water, heating in the winter, and a tiled roof, which I think is quite good for the elderly people. Um because, of course, they need to keep them safe during the winter and whatnot, and heating is quite a big part of that. Um, everyone has the right to die, but this is not an obligation, <laughs> which is quite sweet. They're absolving everyone who want, is, like, to die or not. Yeah. Um, this is the fourth one, to be fair, is my favourite. It is a good one. I do agree with this one. Everyone, everyone has the right to make mistakes. <laughs> Absolutely. It's true, yeah. Everyone has the right to love. Quite good as well. Everyone has... Seven is... Everyone has the right to not be loved. But this is not necessary. Which is... 
interesting. I mean, to be fair, some people just like to be on their own, which is fair. Everyone has the right to be undistinguished and unknown. I like that one. Yeah, I like that one too. I think, because, I mean, you see the call of the um, privacy laws, like uh, the Google's right to be forgotten thing. Did you see about this? No. Is this like some GDPR sort of thing, is it? Kind of, yeah. It's basically, if you... If you want Google to delete every... It's like the... If you go to Facebook and say, I want you to delete every piece of information you have about me, they have to. And also, the same with Google. If you do that, then they have to take your name out of the search results and everything. Yeah. The right to be forgotten. Cool. I mean, I I don't think me and you should be doing that just yet. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) I'm trying to get people to find us, but... Yeah. (laughs) But if everyone else could, yeah. then that would be great. That would make everything a little yeah. easier. It's good if it's good for one of us makes a big scandal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Number nine, everyone has the right to be idle. Which, once again, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in lockdown, it's, it's okay to just, like, be still. Yeah. And just be sort of like... Probably for the best, to be honest. Yeah. Everyone has... The right to love and take care of the cat. Now, this is a bit of a difficult one to implement because how are they going to find enough cats for every person in Lithuania? Or is it just in the Republic? Are they only needing 7,000 cats? Sorry? Do they only need 7,000 cats? I think it just means everyone has the right to love and take care of a cat if they want to. Yeah, but that means that they need cats for everyone. Well, if they want a cat, yeah. Or is it just one cat? Because it says love and take care of the cat. I wondered that. I'm not sure if that might be a translation issue because this would be translated from Lithuanian. No, I think we should take that to mean that there is a single cat in this republic (laughs) and everyone gets one day with them. Yeah, everyone has the right to look after the cat. You have to share the cat. Everyone has the right to look after that cat. Don't hog the cat, Uzupu's people. Uh, everyone has the right to look after the dog until one of them dies. <laughs> <laughs> what? So the dog stays with you until you die? Is that the Grim Reaper dog? Well, sometimes the dog outlives you. Sometimes you outlive most of the time you outlive a dog. Oh, dear. The dog has the right to be a dog. Makes a lot of sense. I like that one. I like... Yeah. Because, I mean... I think what that's saying is about how, like, you can't expect a dog to not poop inside of a shop. It's a dog. And it has the right to be a dog, and it's going to poop where it wants. You should train your dog not to poop in shops, though, but yeah. Yeah, but if it does, it's a dog. It's what a dog does. Dogs have the right to be a dog. They do. Number 13. A cat is not obliged to love its owner but must help in time of need. Which, to be fair, <laughs> they do. I mean, cats definitely don't love their owners, I don't think. Um, but in times of need. Uh, I mean, you hear stories about like cats that have alerted authorities. Yeah. Fighting off bears. You ever heard of them stories? Like... I haven't, but that, that, that doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah, there's sometimes cats fight off bears. and that. I've, I've heard of that. Makes sense, makes sense. Um, everyone has the right to be happy, 
Everyone has the right to be unhappy. Everyone has the right to be silent. Everyone has the right to faith. No one has the right to violence. I like all of those. Love all of them for equality. Everyone has the right to be individual. Everyone has the right to have no rights. And everyone has the right to not be afraid. Okay. Second to last one. Everyone has the right to not have... Sorry. Everyone has the right to have no rights. Completely undoes like 90% of those. So everyone has the right to not follow the constitution. Does that mean, is that, is that like a way that you could implement the constitution to like basically take away human rights or is that just a way to say uh, hey, do whatever you want man, it's up to you. If you don't want rights just yeah, if, see, you, do, if you don't want any thing. rights that's, that's, yeah, go for it. If that's, if that's what you're into you can have that. We started looking at this like as in like a nice thing, but actually there's a lot of evil in here. There's a lot of evil. Everyone has the right to be silent, so shut up. Shut up and say nothing about our awful administration. Everyone has the right to be unhappy. But as it is a bit tongue-in-cheek and a bit of a laugh, this whole thing, maybe it is just taking taking a piss yeah, out we of... Should. Maybe it is just taking a piss I out of stuff like that. Like, um, for example, things like... you. So, like we said, the silent one can be taken both ways. Unhappy can be taken both ways. Perhaps it's like... Um, Sort of saying, like, these constitutions don't necessarily work that well because they can be interpreted in different ways by different people throughout different times. So, the um, Lithuania has a pretty interesting claim to fame, Scott. Yeah? It claims to be the geographical centre of Europe. That's pretty cool. I thought they're more to the east because they're right by Russia and Russia's not part of Europe. Wow. Here we'll get into it. So many other European nations also make the claim for themselves. The claim of the centre is difficult to decide and it's based on what your definition of Europe is because this is going to be a whole wider thing of like what really is Europe? Where does Europe start and end? What are the boundaries of Europe? It's hard to say when Europe starts being Europe and starts becoming the Middle East. Is it? Yeah, this is like a big debate. And a lot. some people don't even use the term Europe anymore. Some people use the term Eurasia. Because even when you try to define yeah, a continent, Europe doesn't really fit any of like the definitions of a continent really either. Even though there's no official definition, it's like... It's not like one contiguous landmass that is like basically like a giant island like the americas are or join it's kind of like well no there's the australian sort of continent because that's got all of the different um islands yeah. a lot of people make the argument that europe is not the continent it should be called eurasia some madmen even go as far as afro eurasia that's that's over inclusive <laughs> That's too much. I think continents should also be considered like through culture. Yeah, but then cultures are quite different. Um, so where does Europe end in your mind then? I don't know. I'll have a look. I'll tell you what. I'll have a look on the map and I'll guess where where Europe's borders are. Yeah, it's not very clear to be fair. So if we start, so Turkey not part of Europe. Yes, it is. Is it? 
Well, this is where the big debate is, isn't it? Turkey is often debated as if it is if it is or isn't part of Europe. Well, I'm saying it's not. So why not? It's 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 on the it's on the waiting list to get in the EU. Yeah, but it's. I would say that that little you see that little like slither of island where Istanbul is. Yeah. That's where the cutoff point should be. And as Turkey is so much further on the other side than Bulgaria and Romania and everything, that should be Turkey's but not on Europe. Why not? Why why is it not European? Because that's a good cutoff point. But why is that a good cutoff point? Because Georgia, Ar- Ar- Armenia, and Azerbaijan, they're all part of Europe. Yeah, and that sort of. On the other side it of sort Turkey. It fits in with the line, though, doesn't it? What do you mean? If you look at Azerbaijan and Armenia, they're um The more interesting one is where does it end from Kazakhstan? So Kazakhstan goes into Ukraine. Ukraine definitely isn't. What do you mean Ukraine isn't? Ukraine is part Ukraine of Europe. Ukraine is not Europe. Yeah, it no, is. it's not. It's Russia. Well, Ukraine is not part of Russia, but <laughs> even if it was, Russia's part of Europe. <laughs> what? Russia's part of Asia. Well, part of it is, yeah, but not, 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 not all of it. Nah, the entire country is Asia. The entire country is Asia, but Finland's part yeah. of Europe, right? Yeah. Well, parts of Finland are further east than Russia. Yeah, but not the entire thing. This is the same thing with Turkey. Turkey extends past the line. How does it extend past the line when Georgia and Armenia and Azerbaijan are part of Europe and they're on the other side of Turkey? Well, Azerbaijan and Georgia... Yeah, actually, yeah, yeah, you know, you're right. They're not part of Europe. They are! They're not. Not Now they're not. See what I mean? It's hard to distinguish where where it is and is, is and isn't. I think the cutoff points at Syria and Iran and the other side of the Caspian Sea is um, the really? start of the Middle East. Is where I'd say, and then somewhere like halfway through Russia, it switches from Europe to Asia. I would say that's what I would say. So you call um, Iran, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Yemen, and Oman, and the United Arab Emirates all part of Europe? No. Well, they're all part of that line. No, Syria, Iraq, and Iran. That line there, that border with Turkey. I would say is where Europe ends and the Middle East starts. Right, so you're saying Syria, Iraq, and Iran are not, but Turkey is. Anything past, like, below Turkey, I would say is not Europe. Okay. Because also, historically, Turkey's been very important to Europe as well. Yeah. Like, historically and culturally as well. Like, the Roman Empire was based there for, like, well, for a lot of its time. In fact, after the, the Western half of the Roman Empire fell... This is where it really was. This is the Byzantines. This is where they were, Scott, was Turkey. Was it? Yeah. Oh, of course they were. Istanbul used to be called Constantinople. But to be fair, that's not necessarily a reason to keep it one continent, because otherwise we'd have... You said culturally and history should be involved in it. Involved in it? That's going back way too far. How's it going back way too far? Here's the line. So, Belarus, Europe, Ukraine... Not Europe. Moldova, sure, Europe. How is Ukraine Turkey, not Europe? Not Europe. Because it's Asia! 
Ukraine's not Asian. What are you talking about? It's Asian. How is it Asian? All right, fine. Ukraine, I'll accept Ukraine. Ukraine speak a European language. Georgia and Azerbaijan are not part of Europe. Why not? They literally are. They're on the other side of the Black Sea. Yeah? So? Ah, whatever. Nah, I wouldn't count them. To me, like Finland, Estonia, Latvia, Belarus, Ukraine, that should be... Google Maps says Georgia is a country at the intersection of Europe and Asia. Yeah, all I'm saying is that because Russia... But they're culturally European, aren't they? They're culturally European, so... Hmm. See what I mean, but it's hard to... It's hard to decide. It's hard to pin down, but I would would just say Georgia and Azerbaijan, Vietnam, Middle Eastern. Um, Turkey, Middle Eastern. Bulgaria, Greece, Italy, that is where it starts. Because that just seems to make sense to me. Like yeah, looking yeah, at like the actual. Little, like a little ancient Greek, kind of. Up there at the gates of Thermopylae, not letting those Persians through. Scott was part of the 300. By the sounds yeah. of it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> by the sounds of it, he's part of the 300. <laughs> All I'm saying, to be fair, I mean, you could just cut the line. Cut Istanbul, where you know where Istanbul is. Yeah. Just cut that a bit off. Um, give that to Greece. So Greece now extends over on the other side. Oh, great. <laughs> That's not going to cause any problems. Not controversial at all. Don't worry about that. So yeah, we're going to cut that off. Give it to Greece. Um, Turkey. Sorted. And then we'll give Turkey Georgia. Give them Georgia. Yeah. Not like it's got its own, it's its own country or anything. We'll just give them Georgia. Why not? Ah, uh, they'll understand. <laughs> they'll understand. God. Anyways, um, back to the subject of this podcast. Uh, we were talking about Lithuania claims to be geographically the centre of Europe. Okay, so it's difficult to decide where the borders are. The first claim was in 1775. By Polish royal astronomer and cartographer Sizmon Antoni Sobekratsky, who calculated it to be in the town of Sukawola near Bilastok. The method he used uh, was to calculate the equal distances from the extreme parts of Europe the westernmost point in Portugal, the easternmost point. In the central Urals, the northernmost point of Norway, and the southernmost point of the of Greece, the islands were not taken into consideration. So has that been calculated? It's not clear from that. That was calculated to be in the center of Lithuania or in Lithuania. No, no, that was in Poland. That is the sun. That is the first claim that we someone tried to go. What's the center of Europe? They use that definition. They use the Urals, Scott, the Ural mountain range. So that was the first claim. So many claims have been made since then uh, by many different countries, but the most notable being Lithuania. After a re-estimation of the boundary to the continent in Europe in 1989, Jean-Georges Afolder, a scientist at the Institute of Geographic National, which is the other French National Geographic um, Institute, determined that the geographical centre was located in... Uh, near a village, uh, near a village of Guria in Lithuania, 
the way he calculated this was by finding the center of gravity of the geometric figure of Europe. They built a monument to this in 2004, and it's the only geographical center of Europe to be recognized in the Guinness Book of World Records. Sorry, what? How on earth are they doing? Did you say gravity in that? <laughs> yeah, he used the center of gravity as a geometric figure of Europe. Oh, oh, that's amazing. So he, he... used geometry to figure it out, but I don't know yeah, what that he, means. He put... Well, what I would assume it to mean is that he sort of he modeled a sort of. If you imagine Europe to be a 2D shape, he modeled that and then found where the center of gravity of that model would be. Like if I. If I got a bit of wood and carved out Europe, yeah, where would the center of gravity be? I like that. Giri, uh, Lithuania. Yeah, I like that. That's that's actually really cool. So this is the new estimate. There's been obviously lots of different other claims all in around the region, but this is the only one recognized by the Guinness uh, Book of World Records. Um, I guess you seem to like it. You seem to think this is the way to go. Yeah, I like that. I like I like that. That's a respectful way of measuring the center of a place. It's really um surprising that it's Lithuania, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is because you wouldn't have thought Lithuania as being. You think it's sort of eastern I, like I say, or north, north, eastern. northern, northeastern sort of area, don't we you? We introduced it as being Eastern Europe, which means I think we, we need to go back. We need to start this entire thing again. Um, Lithuania <laughs> it's is in the center a central of Europe. European, <laughs> literally by definition. If you said that, people are gonna think it's near Hungary, though, aren't they? Like, oh, it's by Austria and Hungary, is it? Heaven's sake. <laughs> uh, there's a monument um, there now. You can see the monument. Um, I'll put the image in the notes for you, Scott. There you go. I see it. It's very cool. It's very cool. Yeah. yeah. Quite like that. So. Moving on to our next segment, Scott, the the language. So last the time we talked a bit about the Latvian language, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Be it, uh, how old it is. So Lithuanian is also a very old language too. It's it's a related language to Latvian. It's and it's Latvian's closest living relative today. They are the only Baltic languages left alive today. Both being the closest. European languages, the Proto-Indo-European and the Sanskrit, that's still alive today. When trying to reconstruct Proto-Indo-European linguists, usually look to the Baltic languages. The two languages are not mutually intelligible, as Latvian speakers often say Lithuanian sounds much older and much more archaic sounds to them, which would make this language especially useful to study when trying to figure out Proto-Indo-European. So essentially, yeah, it's the same, same as in Latvia. Um, where they're just an old language. It's very good. We looked at the language chart last week. Yeah. Last week? Two weeks ago. Last episode. That's the word. Mm. I love it. I think it's crazy that we have these, like, always say ancient languages still being spoken in Europe today. Mm. Sort of, like, using them as, like, a window into the past or, like, a key to unlock some of the... Some of the past, I think it's amazing. Yeah. It is very, very cool. We almost didn't have that, Scott. Yeah? Yeah. Because in 1863, Tsar Alexander II ruled that schools would only teach Russian. And this began... Of course. 
the oppression of the Lithuanian language and trying to ban it outright and replace it with Russian. This was so. This was an attempt to Russify Lithuania, which if, which seems to be an actual word. I've seen that pop up. I was going to say Russify. I've 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 seen it on like various different sources. People use the term Russify. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I to mean, it's, it's happening enough. Russia is Russia, and they're Russia things. So you Russify it. Yeah. He tried to ban the Lithuanian language. Yeah, so at first it was the banning of uh, Lithuanian schools, just, just Russian schools. Because this was when, uh, I guess, Russia had taken over Lithuania. This like this happened many times. The politics got taken by the Russians many times. Yeah. In 1865, he banned the use of the Lithuanian language and Latin alphabet. Because he wanted to replace it with the Cyrillic script instead of the Latin alphabet. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Makes sense. And in 1866, printing and importing books in Lithuania had been banned, and this began the book smuggling years, or the years of the book smugglers. Okay. This was a, an incredibly dangerous job, and being discovered could be punishable in a number of ways. Some of the ways were fines, banishment and exile, deportation to Siberia, Shot while crossing the border, or just execution on the spot. What is it with Russian or like executions on the spot from like tyrannical regimes? Uh, it just puts the fear in you to not break the rules, doesn't it? Because if you know, yeah. if you break the rules, like for example, you're not like, gonna get a trial. You're just yeah, gonna get <laughs> you're just gonna get killed, isn't it? There's like. There's no, oh, maybe I'll get away with it, or maybe I'll get off, or get a light sentence. Like, you're literally going to be killed. Just the perfect thing to laugh for again. <laughs> it's true, though. And people did die in this. So, yeah, people were basically trying to smuggle books, uh, Lithuanian books and Lithuanian prints, into Lithuania to keep the language alive. Yeah. And like, as I've said before about the the how ancient language is and how important it is to keep languages like Lithuanian alive. <laughs> Yeah. These people did um, a very brave thing. So in 1867, well, the names are going to be terrible. I'm sorry, but I can't. I don't know how to pronounce the Fuelian. Moteus Valankius, the bishop of Zamatia, began to go, but shut up. <laughs> it's the pronunciation game again began to covertly organise and finance um, book printing abroad and sponsored the distribution of Lithuanian language books in Lithuania in 1870 his organisation was uncovered with the help of Prussian authorities and Five priests and two book smugglers were exiled to remote areas of Russia. Other book smugglers carried on his work. It's nice to see uh, someone in Christian faith doing good. In East Prussia, since 1864 and up to 1896, more than uh, 3.5 million copies of publications in Lithuanian language were published and about 300,000 scientific secular editations and 75,000 newspapers and other types of publications 
in the final year of the book smuggling, there was an estimated 30,000 books being smuggled into the country. That's ridiculous. To be fair, you never think of smugglers doing something good, but that is actually a really good thing. Yeah. You think of drug smugglers and stuff like that, but that's kind of badass. Although, like... Or whatever Han Solo does. Whatever Han Solo does? But he was a smuggler, wasn't he? Was he? Yeah, Han Solo was originally like a smuggler, yeah. That's like what he was doing before he started helping out. Really? Luke and all that. Yeah. I I know nothing about Star Wars. Oh, really? Yeah, I know nothing. Uh, I didn't know he was a smuggler. Yeah, that was his profession before. So these guys were on the level of Han Solo, mate. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Does that make the Russians the uh, Darth Vader? Mm, I mean... Because they're the Empire, aren't they? Yeah... I mean, like the act, the the Empire in Star Wars is based. They're basically are just kind of like Nazis, aren't they? So, what in in Star Wars? Yeah, basically, yeah. Any stormtroopers? Yeah, going out trying to kill all the Jedi's, you know. Anyway, um, the ban was lifted in 1905. It says there was a Russo-Japanese war. Yeah, the Japanese won. Nice. Yes. That's crazy, isn't it? That's a little known fact there. But yeah, so this went on for years, and if books were found, and obviously people were executed or deported or exiled, and books were burned and destroyed, you know, I think book burning could be one of like the. It's definitely a sign of like a tyrannical regime, isn't it? As soon as the books yeah. start burning, you're like, hang on. Yeah. Something you're trying to unwrite history. Yeah. The ban was lifted in 1905 after the Russo-Japanese War in which the Japanese won. Soon after, the Russians pulled out of Lithuania for a short while until World War II because they never leave them alone. Yeah. In 1905, as, as soon as the ban, soon after the ban was lifted, one of the book smugglers, Yusos Masilius, opened his bookstore in... Pernavius. This store, this bookstore is still opening and operational, and a chain of bookstores operates in Lithuania under his name. Book smuggler Jurgis Belinis, who created a secret distribution um, network for banned Lithuanian books, was born on the 16th of March, 1846. This date is commemorated in Lithuania as the Day of the Book Smugglers. I think every every episode we should start naming like a MVP of the country. All right. And for this country, I think it should be that guy. Yugis Belinus, yeah. Belinus, yeah. So that's really cool to create a underground network of banned books to keep the language alive. Yeah. But he was probably like literally putting his life. At risk to save the language. Yeah, basically. Yeah, 100%. Very cool. 100%. And like I say, this language is a is a key language. Like, you you can't... And like, I try not... I know I might be stressed this point a bit too much, but I don't know if you can. Like, it is a very important language to keep alive. I mean, all language mm. is important to keep alive. Yeah, I don't know. But this one is a very... It's a it's a strong link to a people group we don't know anything about, but it'd be awesome if we knew more about. 
all I'm saying is if we lost like actually I can't I can't I don't want to throw any countries under the bus. <laughs> but yeah. Absolute heroes, all those people. Especially this Jurgis dude. Yeah. Hello. So we have an email set up now. Um, feedback at robsmat.co.uk So if you do want to just send us um, some thoughts and feedback on the show, you can do. The links for it will be in the show notes. Thank you for listening. So, our favourite segment. Mm-hmm. The flag. Flag time. Um, so this, the, the Lithuanian flag is a standard 2x3 um, uh, tricolour very um very sort of standard very european essentially it's like a golden sort of slightly darker than yellow but lighter than orange on the top sort of emerald green in the middle and a um <laughs> <laughs> Carmine, right <laughs> on the bottom. I don't know, Scott. <laughs> as soon as she said emerald green, I was just there, like, you don't know if that's emerald green, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know that. <laughs> so yeah, this is essentially it's a it's yellow, green, and red. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, they have, of course, as these flags always do, they have different meanings for the different colours. Yellow for the sun and prosperity. Green for the forests and the countryside and hope. Mm-hmm. And red for the blood of those who died fighting for their freedom. First adopted on the 25th of April 1918 in the first stint of independence before the Soviets and was used heavily when trying to get their independence back from the Soviets. Lithuania actually also has a, a second flag called a state flag, which also um, which has also been seen as a symbol of Lithuania. Um, it's been used as far back as 1410, but in 2004, it came back into use as being the state flag. Yeah, and so in 2004, that was cool to sort of bring it back and use it as sort of like a secondary sort of state flag. Which I actually right that. I like that a lot more. You like the second flag? It is a red flag with a um, horse and a knight on in the centre, like as a centrepiece. For some reason, I mean, the colour scheme, there's a sort of golden yellow, a light blue, like sky blue type thing, white, and um, the red for the background. We think. Yeah. The... The hooves, for some reason, are the yellow-orange colour, which I don't understand. They should just be black. Um, That's the other thing. Okay. Scratch that. I don't like this flag. They've done the thing, which I really don't like, where they outline the... Yeah. I don't like outlines. No, you don't. The reason why I don't like outlines is because in emojis, they don't look... They don't look good anyway, but like in emojis, they just don't come across at all. Yeah. So, no. Boo to this flag as well. Yeah. Uh, for completely polar opposite reasons. they If you if you could find some sort of an in-between between those two, that would be perfect. But the top one's too basic, the bottom one's too complex. Wait, you don't like the normal Lithuanian flag? No, it's too basic. 
What? I'm going to say this about every single tricolor. Yeah, yeah, I know. I do. I don't disagree with your thoughts on tricolors, but they do have historical significance in Europe, so. Yeah, but they still. They are commonplace and flag design. Like, this flag does technically pass all the principles of flag design. Yeah. I don't doubt that. However. So is this your definition? When, when, we, when we did the principles of flag design, you said if you did all the principles, you'd get a ball and flag. Was, is this your, your poster child for it? Is it? Yeah. Boring. Boring, boring, boring. I like it. I think it's a cool flag. Uh, again, it's got, you say you don't like the tricolor. I at least it's American not. Flag. At least it's not a red, white, and blue tricolor. I guess it's a bit of a yeah, a different still... one. Yeah, I mean, I guess I like the green. I, I the like green, green for color. forests and hope. Why is green for hope? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Surely white is for hope. That is a thing with all of these. Like though, you can assign anything. I'm gonna have purple for hope. I'm gonna have. I'm gonna have yellow for happiness. <laughs> you just, just let it make anything you want. I'm gonna have turquoise for independence. And if we ever have the opportunity to make a tricolor flag, we have to make the most offensive three colors: hot pink for people who died for their freedom, bright yellow for the sun, and then lime lime green for the for the limes. For the limes of the country. For the limes. <laughs> for the limes. <laughs> that sounds like you're starting a cause. Hashtag for the limes. For the limes. Or do it for the lime. <laughs> do it for the lime. I think it's alright. Emoji test is obviously gonna um, pass. I'll just send you a little one anyway. It passes. I mean, of... Off the tricolor flags is a good tricolor flag, but all tricolor flags are bad flags.